Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the world alike. Welcome back to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to be back. All right, so uh, real talk. I've definitely been on a little cray-cray of a hiatus. I have been... Honestly, I've been trying to grow. And realistically, we all know that uh, post-COVID, everyone's doing little new things here, little new things there. And your homeboy took a big old bite of a sandwich and is still chewing, as he stated before. But I'm super excited to know that uh, we have turned High Point Expeditions, my guiding company, we just slapped a P on the end and called it Productions. And we've been doing very well. We just finished a big product shoot with uh, Beyond Clothing, my sponsors, which, you know, they definitely sponsor me as an athlete, but it's a whole nother thing when you're put in the hot seat and you're working for them. And so they have taught me so much. Uh, we have done a couple projects for uh, Precision, Repo Graphics. They are the lovely people that make all of your stickers for the, everybody who's a sticker club member of the month. All of you guys should have gotten your good goods in the mail. If you guys aren't Ticker Club members, well, then you need to join because then I can send you cool stuff. And yeah, that, that, I mean, that's really it. And it's also like, honestly, I'm definitely stealing this from the nugget, but it's like buying me a beer. I mean, I, five bucks a month, you get cool stickers in the mail. You occasionally get some other stuff. But on the real, it's like me telling you this great story in your car in your headphones, wherever you are, by the campfire, and you just pass me a beer. And that's really it. So if you want to become part of the fam, get that good good, join the club, sendsandsuffers.com. All the information is there. Just click podcast, and then it will follow. And then just follow the prompts. All right. Now that that's over with. Um, yeah, man, growing pains. It's been wild. So... I want to say um, all of you guys that have shot me messages during the, my little hiatus, thank you so much. Some of you I don't know personally, and I feel that I do know you personally now. Some of you I do, but I have appreciated everything. Everyone who's left me a voicemail on Anchor, I am actually going to respond to your messages. Uh, you asked some very deep deep questions and can i say the simple things are the most hardest things to unpack but we're really we're really working on these things um i recently put together a team we've got marcus helping us out with editing we've got taylor and mel helping us out with copyright and we're kind of putting together a few other people so i'll start bragging about these people a little bit more later on in the future but i really just let me be honest with you, like, if we can just have a real talk, I know we're, I'm supposed to be talking about my guest that's coming on, but, like, on the reels, though, like, I literally just sat down right now to do this intro, and my heart just, oh, my God, my heart just overwhelmingly filled with joy knowing that you guys are listening to this. And I don't even know who half you are who listen to this. I don't, but the fact of the matter that I know that your radios are on and you're tuning into this and you're listening and you're here. It just, 
it just brings me joy. So I'm going to shut up and stop being emotional and just let you do what you came here to actually do, and that's to listen to the amazing guests. But I do want to do a special, special thanks to all of our sponsors. Beyond Clothing, they make clothing for everywhere on this big, beautiful globe that we live in. Their layering systems, their clothing is amazing. They did just drop a new Avid and Tadra line really geared towards climbing. So guys, check out. They've got some content dropping about that from shot by yours truly, fabulized by them. And then, yeah, so if you guys are interested, use the promo code ALWAYSREADY. That saves you a little bit of coin. It also helps support this podcast and everything that goes into making it because as you can see, there is a full-fledged team now that is bringing this to you. We have also tension climbing. Tension climbing, listen, if you're training for climbing, gold standards. You need hangboards. You need training blocks. You need stuff for your shoes. Or you just need some straight-up swag. Or maybe your hangboard is not that great and you need to screw on some little teeny, teeny little edges so you can actually get that crimp scrape going on. And I am speaking to myself because I am that dude who will climb sketchy, sketchy slab with some fabulous technique. But then when it comes down to pulling on those super, super small little crimps, I'm not going to lie, homeboy needs to work on it. So, But hit up Tension Climbing. They will be able to take care of everything you need. And we will have an actual promo code real soon on our website. I will be putting that in the show notes so you guys can click that. You can support the podcast that way. And last but not least, our newest sponsor, Organic Climbing. They have supported the podcast and they are supporting me as an athlete to help bring some amazing content that's going to come in the future to you guys. I don't want to talk about it because I just want to do it. And so hopefully that will manifest itself sooner than later. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of things that we get got to get in order. But organic climbing, gold standards with crash pads, chalk buckets, backpacks, I mean, you name it. They are the gold standards in climbing, outdoor, bouldering, and just straight up adventuring. And you root setters too. Don't forget, they got route setting, uh, they have route setting bags. They got little setting buckets. I mean, we got all the things, all the things for you. So make sure you guys share some love with them. And sharing love is opening up your wallet if you can do it. If you can't do it, then just go give them those things we call like clickety click, like, like, likes, follow, follow, follows. And make sure you follow Sins and Suffers. If you're not following us on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Music, whatever whatever platform you're listening, do me a solid. Click subscribe. Click the like button. Find us on Instagram. Do all the social media things because you only got to really do it once. That's like kind of the cool part about social media. Like you really just click subscribe and follow once and then you just get stuff in the mail but through your phone. It's amazing. All right. I'm going to shut up. My guest today is John Brazer. He is an amazing, amazing athlete, world-class speed climber. And this conversation that we got to have today was, well, this conversation was recorded a little while ago, but it was really cool because, you know, you look at these athletes that are at the top of their game, and sometimes it's just nice to talk to them and figure out how much They are just a person and how much you have in common with them just with your everyday life. Like we are not that far removed, even though you are a world class stud and I'm just a brother on a microphone. 
So let's let's just dive into it. Guys, I love you. Thanks for coming back. And I cannot wait to bring all the good good to you. Can you introduce uh, yourself to everyone listening? Who are you? Where are you from? And what is your relation to climbing or the great outdoors? Yeah, uh, my name is John Brossler. I'm from Dallas, Texas. I grew up climbing here at Summit Carrollton. Um, I'm mostly known as a speed climber. I'm a 10-time speed climbing national champion. And I've been to World Cups, World Championships at both the youth and adult level. Like I've been competing in those for about seven years now. Um, and yeah, I've just been, been kind of going along with that ride, kind of seeing where it takes me. I grew up on team Texas, which is the climbing team that comes out of right here at summit Mm -hmm. and the experiences that I've had on that team, like traveling to competitions kind of started like on team Texas. And I've just been kind of been along for the ride ever since I've started. Awesome. Can you, so for our listeners that don't understand what 10 times world champion actually means within the world of rock climbing, because uh, I'm not assuming that everyone listening to this is a climber. Can you kind of explain like the organization that you compete in and like, uh, what is that? Yeah. Um, 10 time national champion. So I, I won um, three, I mean, I won four youth national titles um, with USA climbing, which is like the governing body for um, competitive rock climbing in the United States. And I've also won six open national titles also in USA climbing. Jesus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's also the IFSC, which is the international federation of sport climbing. And that's basically the international federation that governs competitive climbing, um, at the world stage. And I've competed at, um, pretty much any competition outside of the U S as far as I'm concerned is an IFSC sanctioned competition. And they're the ones that kind of put those on and organize that and everything. Fair enough. No, what got you into, I mean, so you've been competing on team Texas as long as you can remember, like how did you join the team or how did you get into rock climbing? I did a bunch of summer camps. My my first one was at just like Lifetime Fitness on uh-huh. on like Preston or something close to here. And um, then I got recommended this place back when it was called Exposure by one of the counselors there. And um, I did summer camps for a couple of years um, back when Stan was the counselor. And the first year he asked me to join the team, I actually said no, because I didn't like the feeling of the chalk on my hands. <laughs> Little John was not about it. But um, then I came, I thought about it for a year and came back to summer camp the following year and said yes. And then started with the after school program and then kind of just rose through the ranks of the youth climbing team since then. So you are like really like the quintessential product of like, uh, so as a coach, for me, coaching youth athletes and coaching uh, Team Summit and our feeder programs, people ask me all the time, like, well, you know, why do you like to coach th- those programs? And I always say it's about legacy. It's always about, like, really creating an environment where kids want to grow up through the program and they become great rock climbers or they become great people. But, like, you are the example of that, in my opinion. You, like, you started in a camp where... You know, we don't, and for those of you who are just coaching or getting into it now, you know, you'll kind of see that later on, but that's pretty rad. I actually, I can't, I don't know how many people I've ever met that like have kind of started at that level. Cause 
most of the people I know or kids that I've coached, they've either come in at Team Summit or come in at Team Texas or they've come in at a higher level. So that's pretty rad, dude. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate that. So now where are you? You're currently in school. Yeah, currently in school. What are you studying? Uh, I'm studying kinesiology at the University of Utah. Nice. Why? Yeah. Uh, it just relates to like climbing and athleticism and training. And that's like just very applicable to my life and mm-hmm. what I'm doing right now. And I'm, I, more than anything, I'm just kind of interested in this subject. I have no idea like what I want to do in 10 years down the road, whatever. But for now, I just know that that knowledge like applies to climbing in a way that just interests me and applies to my life in a way that I can like actually use it. Whereas opposed, like pretty much any other major, it's kind of just like you go to school and your life is separate, but it's kind of cool that like I can integrate um, school with something that I'm already passionate about, which is something that not a lot of people can say. Uh, can you give me an example of like how you've been integrating that? And then uh, have you been able to share that with others or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm still, so I'm still kind of new in the major, I guess. Yeah. So, so I haven't like done too, too much like in depth stuff yet. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I but, mean, if it's, if it's something, I mean, if it's something that you could be like, Oh, I can apply this or I can, whether it's a mentality, a theory or a practical thing. Yeah, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is like nutrition, you know, like fueling your body properly, making like knowing exactly like what foods have what vitamins, minerals, nutrients, macronutrients, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, like and what those things do for your body in order to allow some elite athlete to do what they want to do at like the highest level. Okay, then um, it's just really cool knowing that like, okay, I Fun fact, I guess, eggs have every vitamin in them except vitamin C. And so if I am skimping out on like a fruit or a vegetable with a meal, I can just go, well, if I have some eggs, then it'll, it kind of makes up for it a little that's bit. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's, that, that's obviously just like a small example, you know, but uh, just like kind of kind of little things like that and knowing that like, okay, I need to get my vitamin B so that my muscles can like contract, perform, function properly. Um, so I can like create energy in a good way. So my body can create energy, can create energy in a good way. Yeah. Have you actually like noticed the difference from when you kind of go off the rails of your nutrition and keeping on it now with all this knowledge? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I really do. I've always been kind of a careful eater. My mom has always like really instilled that in me, I guess, growing up. Um, so yeah, when I am like eating out a bunch or like kind of skimping on meals because of like, I don't know if I'm taking finals or um, if I'm just like having a busy travel schedule and I just like kind of eat what's available instead of like really carefully planning out like what I'm going to eat, then I definitely notice a difference physically, like in my sleep, in my, how long it takes me to warm up, how I feel after I warm up, things like that. Fair enough. Now, are you, you're full-time school. You're not working or have any other side jobs or side hustles, uh, do you? No, I, I would say I'm more of a full-time climber than I am full-time school right now. Okay. I actually just took, um, last semester was my first semester back after taking two years completely off of school, and I was just climbing. Oh, nice. Outdoors, yeah. indoors, it was this mainly the, the, obviously this was mainly the, comp- I'm assuming the competition season that got basically wrecked by the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the first year in 2019, I was lucky to participate in the full season, um, the full World Cup season. And so I just spent pretty much the whole time traveling around the world competing there. 
And then that was my plan for 2020 as well. And then obviously that got kind of wrecked by COVID. Yeah. But um, I was lucky I got to spend a good amount of time climbing outside, which I have not really been able to do so much, either like living in Dallas or just traveling for competitions and really having to prioritize climbing on plastic. And so it was a cool kind of change of pace. I got to lead climb a lot, which is something that I haven't done too, too much um, as a speed climber, especially. So uh, have you seen a translation in any of your speed climbing training help your climbing outdoors? And this is kind of a two-part question. Has that helped your climbing outdoors? And then what has really been, I guess, the exciting or thing that you that's made you most amped or you've discovered about climbing outdoors most, more than you have before? Um, well, that, that's a good question. I think like like training wise, the translation between speed climbing and climbing outdoors isn't huge, but I mean, just like the physical strength factor is kind of the main thing. I notice that like, it, especially with bouldering, I can really, um, I when I'm speed climbing, I just feel stronger while I'm bouldering too. The fitness for lead climbing is like very, very different, obviously. So I don't always feel quite the same way, but with with like singular hard moves and small holds and just like really burly, like boulder problems, especially, I feel like those I'm much better at while I'm speed climbing versus while I'm not. And then I guess um, the other thing would probably be the execution factor of climbing outside because I, I, and I think that comes from speed climbing because at speed competitions, you have... Um, you have your two qualifier runs, and then after you qualify for the next round, it's like head-to-head elimination style. You um. race one time, and you only get one chance to beat your opponent. And so there's no like there, there's no room for error. There's no room for mistakes. Bouldering, you have five minutes to fall or send or whatever you want. Lead climbing is a little... I mean, you also only have one chance, but there's a little bit more room for error than you have with speed climbing. Yeah. So I think like... Knowing how to execute at that high level really translates, for me at least, to bouldering outside and knowing that once I'm able to do all the individual moves of a boulder problem and like know that I'm able to, when I know that I am able to send it, mm-hmm. I'm really good at like flipping that switch and making it happen, I've that's, noticed. That's pretty awesome. Actually, it's so funny when you describe the final, uh, the last round of speed climbing, the very first thought that came to my mind was the iconic Texas Western showdown shootout. Two guys are standing at the end of uh, a small little strip of a town ready to <laughs> shoot from the hip. And it's like, whoever gets it first. And that's like the <laughs> first thing that popped in my head. I just, I don't know. I had this vision of you in a 10 gallon cowboy hat. Oh but, man, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it su- doesn't surprise me that you say uh, speed translate to bouldering so much because it's just raw dog power. And I've always felt like my thing is I've always had the benefit of being like just I have a lot of strength, like every sport I've ever played. I've been able to knock the shit out of any other kid that's been able to come up against me. It's just something like I'm not a big dude, but in the words of my mom, she's like, you're real dense. And (laughs) you've always been that way. Probably hard headed, well, dense and hard headed. But, you know, thanks, mom. Um, (laughs) But it I find it funny. It's like sport climbing. It's always been pretty easy for me and like even like pushing real grades projecting I like the process of like figuring things out and really projecting and kind of putting these things together but like I feel like some like especially with sport climbing you you have to be fit and you have to have a lot of strength and with bouldering you don't have to be as fit but you have to have power and 
I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've met speed climbers that, in my opinion, aren't the fittest people and they're not the physically strongest people, but they can generate a lot of power fast. Like I've met people, I'm like, I'm surprised you can't do pull-ups or overhead press or a lot of different fitness, but I watch them climb on the speed wall and it just blows my mind away. And so am I correct in thinking that's a thing or do you, or am I wrong? Like, you know, is this like a Tiger Woods syndrome where once Tiger Woods got in the, got in the gym and started training, he, he then he, his golf game just murdered everybody else alive. No, I mean, I, I'd say that's pretty accurate. I think like, like fitness is relative to whatever sport you do, you mm-hmm. know? And so like, I, I would say that I'm a fit speed climber, but I mean, I would not say that I'm a fit lead climber because like, I just get pumped way faster than a lead climber would. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lead climber would not really necessarily be a fit speed climber. No, I suck know? at it. I've it, been training with Merritt and it's like the worst thing in the world. Merritt is like, <laughs> he was like, you're real good for like the first five or six move five or six holds and then after that he's like you just fizzle and you just like can't keep it together and i told him i was like i wish i could just rest like shake out on a hole <laughs> and then start the timer up but i know that's not how it works oh no it's a it's it's, it's funny because it's a completely different energy system what you're using oh, it's yeah. Like, yeah so like with lead climbing you're like really kind of you're on the wall for a long time and like being able to have like exact like that kind of fitness is mm-hmm. just completely different from what you need with speed climbing it's just like max effort for um like what what's like six to ten seconds at a time and like if you can't like perform at your max for six to ten seconds without dropping off then like you need to work on your fitness and it's just a completely different completely different ball game so you know just kind of before we kind of switch gears about talking about your professional uh, uh, accolades here if a younger speed climber or a collegiate or anyone's listening to this, like I, I love that you talked about the energy systems. And I think if you could just kind of dive into that a little bit, if, if you're comfortable with that, but like what advice would you give someone who wants to get into speed climbing, who who's considering doing it as a part of their team sport, or maybe they're only a boulder and they're thinking about this, or maybe they're only a rope climber. And they're just kind of considering it. But, like, what advice would you give someone new? What advice would you give someone who's in it and doesn't feel, feel like they're being, they're, they haven't been as successful as they should be, can be? Uh, yeah, let's just start there. Yeah. Um, let's see. As far as the energy systems go, I, I don't know too, too much. I'm not, I'm not an expert on the subject. No, I one, guess. no one's an expert but, unless you're Tyler Nelson. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> but I guess, like, in a nutshell, if you're coming from another sport and you want to start with speed climbing like of, of course it makes sense that like you're not going to pick it up fast right away because like you're using your body in a much different way than you normally would and that's like the the gist of it I guess um but let's see somebody who wants to get into it I would say honestly ju- just try it out hop on um there's there's really not much else to it other than to dive right in and like figure it out for yourself okay. and then okay. um w- once that happens i think the the best thing to do is to reach out to other speed climbers and just dive into the community a little bit more and you can learn from other people in a way that like you would not necessarily figure figure things out on your own always is it a big community i didn't even realize i mean it makes sense that you say that but like is it kind of like a niche community within the climbing community it is kind of um actually the the wall at summit plano is one of the only walls i've seen in the country where they actually even like let the members try the route on a regular basis 
which yeah. um, and it has something to do with like liability with the auto belays. And I don't know. Personally, I disagree with it because it doesn't make a lot of business sense for a climbing gym to have a speed wall because it's a route that's only for one thing that like your average like after work climber would not necessarily be very interested in. And it's just like wasted wall space where they can put normal roots up. But I mean, blocking it off from that member base is not the way to grow the sport and get the members psyched and make it not a waste of money and wall space. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. 100% agree with you. If it's there, it should be used. I mean, every every square foot on a, of a climbing wall should be generating you some form of revenue. And if it's not there, that. And then if someone's, let's say I've, someone's been in the sport for a while and they're just not seeing success, I guess, is there a process by which you do to kind of like self-assess or is this once again, just reach out to the community? Um, I think, I think reaching out to the community is probably the most beneficial, mm -hmm. but I mean like, of course, like once you know what you're looking for, there's like video analysis, there are like, um, fitness drills and like kind of just like a lot of like workouts that you can do mm -hmm. i would say the training for a typical speed climber is a lot closer to the kind of training that a track and field athlete would go through before um as opposed to like a lead climber or a boulder where a lot of their training is very climbing specific um because the speed climbing route like once you're once you're climbing on it there's there's not a lot of like extra like Actually, I, I was going to say there's not a lot of extra technical things you have to worry about, but I don't think that's actually very true. But I guess as far as training goes, it's most like the like plyometric exercises mm -hmm. and like kind of general track and field fitness training would be much more beneficial than that like climbing on a spray wall. That was my first love, track and field. I ran the open eight, open four. I did the triple jump and and uh, I did the sprint medley. But oh, the, wow. the open eight was my favorite event. It's the worst event ever. It's two full laps. Full out sprint. I threw up almost every single time I ran that event. To me, that sounds miserable. I don't know. I, if, if there were a track and field event that were, I, I guess there's a sprint that's like six to 10 seconds long, then perfect for me because that's what I'm used to. Yeah, that would probably be like 300 meter hurdles. That would probably be it. That was the only other event that I subbed in a lot for. But yeah, it's funny. You say, hey, I think like running multiple speed laps, even though I want to learn how to do it and I want to get better at it. To me, it's like vaguely miserable because I'm beating the shit out of myself on the wall and just crashing and bleeding everywhere by the end of a speed training session for me and someone's like get on the lap get on a track i need you to run full two laps i'm like i love it because in my mind also the 200 is i'm sorry the 800 is more psychological than it is anything else because when you're running that event and you're coming around the corner and your second lap the trick is always to try to make the person that you're running against kick early like you want to make them kick early and so one of the techniques that we would do is we would just breathe louder so they would think that we're closer on their heels and that person would kick. And then next thing you know, they're going and then you gradually build up into your kick. And by the time you hit that last bend and you're coming around, they have no more steam. And mm -hmm. so it was either that or sometimes it was just like you knew this person was fast as hell and you just need to run like a bat out of hell and get it. But that's just kind of the difference. And I guess I'm assuming that doesn't really play in speed climbing. Like you don't you guys really aren't looking at each other you're not even concerned that the other person is there i'm assuming the goal is to block that person out yeah definitely when i'm when i'm performing at my best the i'm alone on the wall basically um mm -hmm. and i think that that's like for me at least and i think like for most people too that's like the best way that they can um perform at their limit and mm -hmm. at their best every time 
Um, and also, well, I, I guess it used to, you, you used to have an extra, right, right now this isn't allowed anymore, but in the past you were able to have one false start per race. And oh, wow. so what a lot of people would do would false start on purpose to psych out their competitor. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that, yeah. that, that kind of messes with their head, that messes with their routine, and it kind of forces you to be aware, like, okay, I'm not alone on the wall anymore. There's this person next to me, and they're trying to psych me out. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I was about to say, I can imagine that, yeah. So uh, it's cool that it, it, I'm happy that that's not a thing anymore. Me too. <laughs> definitely happy that's not a thing, because if I was a competitor back then, if you, I would definitely use that tactic against people. That's just me, because... I knew if I could get in someone's head, that was just the one extra advantage. Even if I, unless I was 100% positive that they were not a competition for me in any way, shape, or form, but, like, that was it. Because coming from, like, track and field, football, even wrestling, like, the psychological part of it was massive. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to do what you got to do yeah. when, when it when it's crunch time for sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So what did, uh, let's switch gears here. So what did you end up doing to fill your time during quarantine? I mean, you were in Utah, so I'm imagining you were just climbing all the time. Um, well, that was, that was partly true. Um, right in like March and April when everything kind of like shut down and locked down. Um, I actually had some health issues. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And so I was just really sick for a few months. And I actually flew back home um, to, Dallas and my parents took care of me for a little while while I was just trying to get healthy again and so that took up most of my time do you I mind think. telling I don't know what that is and I mean if it's too personal obviously just move fine but do you mind kind of like telling like what happened to you I don't know what that is no I, I mean I would, I would love to go into it yeah let's um, so basically ulcerative colitis is like chronic colon inflammation mm. and when your colon is inflamed it doesn't work yeah. And so um, people with this disease often, like, they, they go to the bathroom, like, 10, 20-plus times a day. Um, they aren't able to absorb nutrients very well. Um, they lose a lot of blood through their colon, so that, like, provides a lot of, like, issues like anemia and, like, other blood loss-related things. Um, and basically, um, that, that's, that's kind of what happened to me and like pretty much every aspect of my health suffered. And I was like too tired to take care of myself while I was in Salt Lake and got diagnosed, which is why like, okay, I need full-time care. I need to go back home to my parents. And so, and also they have a very, very restricted diet oh. because, um, your colon can't function like it normally does. So you need to only eat really easy to digest foods that, won't put too much stress on your colon and so I was pretty much only eating like soup white bread white rice chicken breasts no spices really um no what? why white bread and white rice I only say that because those are a lot more heavily processed and clean well they're they're processed and clean which in turn makes them easier for your body to digest uh... and so that it, it just like Pretty much anything that like can turn into mush in you is good, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> is like what is, is like the best way I can describe okay, it. Okay, that makes sense. And then yeah. is this, uh, I'm assuming, is this not very common or is it common? It's, it's, it's common-ish. I, I don't know what the actual incidence of it is, mm -hmm. but um, the, the, the amount of people in, in the world with this disease is not low. It, it's not a rare thing, and I don't that, think. 
and I guess it, is there a trigger for it? Because obviously you didn't know you had it, and so um, what was the trigger, or is there a trigger for the stress, whatever? Um, yeah, stress is a trigger. Um, I I don't know how I got it. It's I think it's genetic. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one in my family with it, which is kind of interesting. But I think it's just kind of a luck of the draw. Like you either have it or you don't. Type of type of thing. Okay, I was about to say, do you? It's funny, and like in my family, on my mom's side, I know there's a couple different rare forms of stomach cancer, and it's like they knew about a sickness in their family, but they never knew what it was. Only until maybe like, like maybe two generations ago or a generation ago, just with the advancement of modern technology. So I was about to say, you might think that might be a little bit of the case for you too, as well. Or since it's genetic, I only ask. That's. Uh, I'm not, I'm not really sure. As, as far as I know, like, I, I don't think there's any, there's been anything like that in my family. Nothing, um, nothing too obvious, I guess. And I guess like the people don't know a lot about the disease as far as I know right now, as far as like how, I mean, there, there's no cure obviously, but mm-hmm. or as, as far as like, um, what causes it, I guess people don't really know too much. And so people just probably just chalk it up to genetics or, yeah, yeah. or yeah. like, um, or, or other things like that, but otherwise I'm, I'm just not totally sure. I think I just got a little unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, so now that, you know, quarantine's over, well, not quarantine's over. It's been over for a long time. The pandemic hopefully, hopefully is kind of like, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel here. Um, I know the, prior to this, the last time I feel like I actually saw you was when uh, Nationals was held at Plano. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like and then, probably a year ago today. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was almost. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I just wanted to pop in here one more time. And I don't want to thank you guys so much for listening to Sends and Suffers podcast. It means a lot to me that you guys are taking the opportunity to listen. If you haven't already, please join the sticker club. You can go to mariostanley.com. You can go to sendandsuffers.com and follow the prompts. Join the club. Support this podcast. Support us also by subscribing, clicking the likety like buttons. And remember, you only have to do it once. After that, it's like getting regular gifts in the mail. All right, I'm getting out of here. Enjoy the rest of the show. After that event, you were scheduled to go to Tokyo when it wasn't canceled. I mean, am I correct in that? No, I, I did not qualify for the Olympics. Uh, I thought you did. Okay. I no. had no idea. So are you, I guess, so now with everything that's happening, are you, is that your plan to qualify for, I think they released it as Paris is going to be this year? Yeah. This time? Yeah. That, that's definitely on my radar. Nice. And especially now because like, well, in Tokyo, it's a combined event, right? You competitors have to do bouldering lead climbing and speed climbing and they have to be good at all three for like one Mm -hmm. medal i guess but in paris speed climbing will be separate from bouldering and lead climbing oh i didn't know they split it up yeah they did and so is bouldering rope and still together so the new combined is bouldering and ropes yeah oh okay i was wondering about that because i was watching everybody and people were getting wrecked from that last (laughs) format because I remember thinking, because thinking about it, and I was just like, um, 
I could see combining bouldering and rope. That makes sense to me. Speed mm-hmm. climbing is just, it's another monster all in itself. It, it is, yeah. for sure. It, it, it made for some long competition days, for sure. Yeah, I, I, you know, talking about energy systems before, too, you'd be white after that. Because what, it was speed one day, and then rope and bouldering was the next day? Or was it was all in the same day? I don't remember. So when, when they do the finals, it's all in a row. So they start with a speed elimination round, and then they do um, a bouldering round, and then lead climbing is last. And it takes like four hours or something. <laughs> it, takes, it takes a long time. That's rough. It's, it's like, it, it feels like a training session. It feels like a hard training session competing in that event. Nice. So now what are you, I guess, what are you doing to get ready for that? I guess what is the next event or qualifiers that you've got to do to get, re- get ready and get yourself in line to do Paris? Um, well, it's, it's not for a few years. And so people are kind of starting to like assess like, okay, what is the best way to qualify the best athletes for both the Boulder lead combined and the speed event mm-hmm. in Paris. And so th- th- this is like kind of the first year that's going on. So there's a team selection at the end of March, mm-hmm. a team selection event, and I'll do that. I probably won't do bouldering or lead, but mm-hmm. I'm going to compete in speed there. Um, because I think in order to be competitive for the speed climbing event in Paris and for the World Cup season between now and then, I'm going to have to focus solely on speed and specialize because that's what most of the climbers around the world are doing who are speed climbers. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Well, dude, I'm psyched for you. I hope that it pans out and I hope that it works uh, for you and I'd love to I'd love to see you out there competing. I mean, you know, God will only tell what happens, but I think, <laughs> but you know, you're Texan. I think you can come there and slap some people in the face. That's just my, <laughs> that's just my feeling. Thank you. I, I certainly hope so. Oh, that's freaking awesome, man. So now outside of, you know, you mentioned like, you know, you're in school doing kinesiology, not really sure what you want to do uh, with that. Um, do you have, and you know, we've, we've talked about your professional uh, goals and things that you're doing, but do you have any personal climbing goals that you're moving towards? And then do you have any personal goals that are non climbing, non, non, like non outdoor rock climbing related, just out of curiosity that you're trying to work towards? Uh, Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, I mean, my whole life has been kind of centered around competing and and all that stuff. It's been like hard or or, or not hard, but like not really on my radar to think beyond that too, too much. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, let's see, as far as, I mean, I think all of my personal goals are still pretty much competition related at the moment because Mm -hmm. that's where like most of my psych is. And I think like, while I'm like kind of in my twenties in the prime of my life, that's like the thing that I want to take advantage of as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's like pretty much where most of my personal goals are. I mean, I, I guess other than like direct, like like tangible competition results. I always want to feel like that I've performed my best and that I'm improving um, at every event that I do. So I guess that's a, that's a personal goal of mine as Mm -hmm. far as competing goes. I think it'd be really cool to become a much more well-rounded climber, which I think I haven't been able to do too much because of speed climbing. Mm -hmm. I tried to a bit and I feel like I kind of succeeded while I was training for the combined and trying to qualify for Tokyo. Um, But I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's different training for the competitions, I guess, 
than like climbing outside and becoming a well-rounded climber in that realm. What was the marker that helped you realize or made you feel like you succeeded partially or all the way in that? Um, just because I was training for all three disciplines at once, which I had normally never really done before. Uh Um, I think for one of the only times in my life, I felt like that I found a solid routine where I could maybe not peak in all three, like I would be able to, if I were training like each discipline individually around competition time, but Mm -hmm. I was able to feel comfortable at all three disciplines at the same time, which is something that I've never really felt before because before the season would be completely split up. There would be like, at least in America, the bouldering season would happen from in in like the winter until Mm -hmm. February. And then you had the luxury to completely forget about it and move on to lead climbing and speed climbing, which would go until July. And so that was something that you never really had to worry about doing training and competing in all three at once. There was also the Olympic qualifier event in Hachioji, the world championships in 2019 that mm-hmm. I got to do. And I'm, I was pretty happy with my performance there in at least lead climbing and speed climbing, which are the two disciplines that I would normally not put together as being happy with my performance in, yeah. I guess, just because they're so different, you know. Um, but the I guess... I say that because the bouldering round at those international competitions is a completely different animal. It's so hard there. Um, But the lead climbing, which is something that um, I was not expecting to do very well in, I ended up doing very, very well in. And um, speed climbing, I was pretty happy with my performance as well. And so I think that competition, along with just how I felt in all of the disciplines at the same time, was the marker. Fair enough, yeah. Um, How do you handle, I guess, it's just... You know, I don't know how to say this, but I just kind of spit it out. But, like, you've been very successful in your career. You've been very successful. It's obvious that of that. And you've, like, had a lot of wins. You've had a lot of things that really helped you out. What? How do you handle or what do you do when it's not successful? It's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's something that I still struggle with, honestly. And it's something that I feel like, Um, I would still, well, I mean, I am still struggling with it, but I think it's something that I would have needed to take a step away from competitions, which thankfully the pandemic provided for me in order Mm -hmm. to figure out how to solve on my own. And, um, before, like, I mean, every competition like is just totally tied to like your self-worth in a way. Which and that's a that that's a mindset that can serve you to an extent because yeah, no, it helps. You, yeah, it, it helps you try hard. It helps you like really focus in and like um, train and um, just like put all of your mental and physical energy into one thing, which is kind of what you need to do in order to be a full time competitive professional athlete. One hundred percent agree with um, you. But I mean, it's not a sustainable way to think. No, it's not. No, no, no. no. You'll burn out so fast. And it's hard emotionally. And I can say this for myself personally. Like, obviously, I have not done uh, any competition circuits like you have. But I would equate that to I have a very, very, very short tick list of routes and big routes, multi-pitch and things that I've wanted to do around the world. And for a long time, I was doing very, very well with knocking these things down. And it you have to really kind of like wrap your whole world around it. And for me, it was always a very hard thing and a hard thing to do. And I'd actually like to, once I'm done with this, I think I'll formulate the question in my head. Uh, but it was always a hard thing for me to 
only wrap my self-esteem in these, this task, in this endeavor, and not my self-worth. Because for me, if I wrap my self-worth in it and I didn't do the route, or I didn't, or I can't, you know, because, and we're basically doing the same thing. We're flying halfway around the world. We're spending all this money. We're spending all this time. We're training. Uh, you know, you're running solo. I have a partner that I have probably harebrained, schemed, lied, cheated, stealed, done whatever I can <laughs> to get them to come along because they're like, yeah, we're going to do something. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It's great. And all my friends know now, the more casual I am about the route, I'm like, it's going to be great. You'll be fine. The, the scarier it's going to be. And oh, they generally say no. <laughs> so I got to come up with a new tactic. But with all that being said, um, I have had struggled for a long time. Like, if I don't do this route, Am I less of a climber? Am I less of a person? Or and even as a coach, I'm like, do I even know what I'm talking about? Because I I'm coaching other people, I'm helping other people, and now I'm not even being successful. And I would always try to push away my self worth and more so my self esteem because I don't know. For me, it's always been like my self esteem. It is steam. I can look at it. It burns. It's here. It's there. It goes. But my self-worth is like a tree. It's planted. I can't get rid of it. And so I guess what I'm saying, what the question I'm going to ask is, you know, you, and I'm very curious, you use that word, particularly your self-worth in that, like how, what is the recovery process or what is the process of like you do when you don't win? Like how, how do you treat yourself? How do you make yourself feel better? How do you love on yourself to move, to help yourself continue to move forward? It's, I mean, like I said, it's really tricky and I still struggle with it for sure. Um, but I think there, d- depending on the context, there are like a few ways you can like kind of cope with it. You know, like if there's a world cup that doesn't go so well, I can go, oh, well, there's another one next weekend mm-hmm. and I'll do better. And then when the season's over when and you can't say that anymore, you're left and you're feeling like, oh, oh man, I have, I climbed terribly this whole season and Mm -hmm. now I am a bad person because of it because I wasted all this time I wasted all these resources I've let people down like it's so easy to think that way um but it's very I don't know I think the best way to cope with it would just be to rationalize with yourself okay why am I so caught up in this why have why is my self-worth attached to it have you asked yourself that yeah i have and the i i still don't really (laughs) know the answer do you know how it makes you feel because i i I say this a lot of times to the kids like i don't expect you to know the answer but i do expect you to have a sense of how it makes you feel in your body yeah um it makes me feel, oh man, it's pretty indescribable other than just like it makes me feel depressed, honestly, um, when when that happens. But you, the, the thing that has been helping me, I guess, cope with that more mm-hmm. and um, like go into competitions knowing, it, it's to go into these competitions like, okay, I've, I've made a choice to be here. If I could choose to be anywhere in the world, I would choose to be here at this competition in this moment, no matter what. Absolutely. You know? And when you make that choice, you, it's also, you have to realize like, okay, this is a goal that I have, but I have to recognize that I might not achieve this goal. Yeah. And you have to be okay with that. And 
I notice that even when I'm feeling at my lowest, when I've performed poorly in for my standards in a competition, I have to realize like, okay, this was an outcome that I knew was a possibility when I made the choice to yeah. be here. Yeah. And the only reason I feel so terrible about it now is because I care so much. And if I didn't care, then I wouldn't choose to be at the competitions. I wouldn't choose that it was a goal worth pursuing, even though there was a risk of failure. And I think just keeping those things in mind is, has been the most helpful thing for me in like really staying grounded and rationalizing why I'm doing what I'm doing, even though it makes me feel just like totally terrible sometimes. Rock climbing is a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Oh, man. Yeah. I've always said rock climbing is like a dating relationship. Like if you ignore rock climbing for a long time and you come back to the gym or that and you climb, it's like kicks your ass and it makes you pay for it. Oh, yeah. And if you don't, even when you're in the midst of it, if you're not giving it the attention that it needs, and I do, I want to preface this that like it needs, and it's really weird because like rock climbing, it's an inanimate object, it's a wall, it's a thing, but it is directly respond. It, it is determined by your relationship that you choose to have with it, and you have to foster that relationship, whether it's competitive, whether it's just going outside and rock climbing, whether it, whatever it is, but you have to keep that going, and it's one of those things that I think it just makes climbing a really beautiful thing. Climbing is a huge amount of self exploration when you let it be there. It can be this thing that you just do with your homies and you, and your friends that you go to the gym or you go on the weekend and just, you know, be the casual climbers. I like to call them, you know, the social clippers. They just go outside, clip some bolts. They'll probably climb a little bit. And that whole group all usually climb is at the same level until one of them decides that they actually want to try harder. And then they usually pull the whole group up. Um, you know, so just wondering, have you, do you feel like, and this is just more of like a curiosity question. And I'm, I'm trying to put the hat on as a youth athlete. And I'm hoping youth athletes will listen to this. Um, you know, when they get older, and in college and either they are still competing or not competing my question is, is do you feel like you will be able to transfer this into your outdoor climbing and from the perspective of talking about like self-worth and how to like heal yourself do you feel like you could probably eventually use outdoor climbing or use something else to kind of like help you do this. I mean, I imagine it's probably going to be done. That's probably won't happen until you decide that like, I am no longer, I'm going to retire from competing and I'm going to move on to something else. Right. I mean, I think that mentality still exists where in whatever, um, whatever facet of life you decide to put it in. Okay. You know? And so like, whether that's competing or outdoor climbing or going to school or like in, in any career, I think that that mentality for a lot of people like still exists. Yeah. And what we're in, in your family too, mm -hmm. I guess. And, um, and then li like you said, like rock climbing is defined by the relationship you have with it. That's true with anything. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that mentality will never really go away. And I think learning how to deal with it in one area well you you learn a lot and you learn how to deal with it in other areas as well and True. so i think like t taking it i guess like for me to outdoor climbing i'm sure there's going to be 
and I know there has been roots and boulder problems that I attach my self-worth to because I'm, I just care that much about them. And mm -hmm. I know that mm -hmm. like, if I do this route, then I level up in my climbing. And if I don't do this route, then I'm a bad person, <laughs> you know? It kind of, yeah. it makes me cringe that you say you're a bad person because I'm like, the coach had of me is like, no, you're not bad. You're not bad at all. It's more of like, it's just a thing. It's a phase. It happens. Yeah, exactly. And then saying it out loud, like you're like, it yeah, makes, it sounds ridiculous. But, but then it, like, that's actually what goes on in like, people's minds yeah no I, i'm sure it actually helps you feel better too and it's part of the healing process too mm -hmm, absolutely just talking about it and like saying it out loud and realize like wow i sound ridiculous right now but i mean that's like by nature like how humans are yeah in in, in a lot of things we don't always think rationally when we're emotional about something that's like just the the definition of emotional is just it that it's they're not always rational yeah you know? oh too true yeah too true i can i I cannot agree with you more. Yeah. Because <laughs> rock climbing in itself, it's like I was talking to somebody else, one of my clients about this, and I was like, you realize rock climbing single-handedly is the stupidest thing ever. I was like, we're just grabbing her on the holds, pulling around on a wall, everything like that. I was like, so it's, you know, I, I want to say that your emotions are valid, but at the same time, I need you to not take yourself so seriously. And I had to tell my client that you know, and that perspective because their goals were something else that they wanted to do, but their emotions were getting so much to the point where like they would almost want to walk out of a training session because mm -hmm. they just were like not hitting the goals or not lifting the weights that they need to or not sending the boulders or almost anything, any point of failure was just driving them up the wall. And I was had to kind of like pull back and like let them know like how unhealthy it is, but it's, it, to have that kind of relationship with climbing, but at the same time, still try to validate their feelings because yeah. it's your feelings are your feelings and they're never wrong. You might not understand them. You might not really understand what they're trying to do, but your feelings are your feelings and they are never, never, never wrong. Exactly. And I think, yeah, the, another great, like, I guess way to cope with that is like, like you said, understanding that like, although you might not be having the emotions that you want to be having, they are valid. In every situation, mm -hmm. you, you have to learn how to like under, maybe not understand, but like know why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and validate your own emotions and then go, okay, I feel this way, but I'm still here. I still care about this mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it even though I feel this way about it, you know, because that's oh, yeah. like my overarching goal. And I feel this way because I care about it. And I guess, yeah, you know, vice versa. And yeah, validating those emotions or like you're, you're not going to progress until you realize like, okay, it's, it's okay that I feel this way. It's okay to be depressed and not like happy with your performance when you've come from, especially like in a competitive athlete's mind, when they've come from a place where that's like all they've ever thought about. And yeah. So that's you, just what you have to do. Uh, I know this is um, a statement I'm going to say is true for me. And I'm curious if it's ever been true for you because I'm assuming if it's true for you, it might be, it may be true for other athletes. But I noticed personally me, I started climbing at my best when I realized that no one else cares about my rock climbing. And I started absolutely climbing at my best when I realized I'm the only one, like no one in the gym cares at all in any way, shape or form. No one cares. And I'm curious, like, is that true for you too as well anyway? Yeah, I think so. I think... Um, it's fueled me both ways. 
I think personally. Okay. Because I know, like, at least in competitions, like, I I love it when like I I do something cool and the crowd goes crazy. Yeah, like, that, 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 that's like the best feeling in the world. I for think me. that's when you're yeah. an entertainer and you're a performer because to a certain extent, being an athlete, you are an entertainer. You are a performer, and you feed off the energy in the room, and you feed off of the energy that's around you. So yeah, yeah. D- definitely. I think like. Um, yeah, exactly. Like you said, realizing that like no one really cares, like you're not any more or less of a person or of a climber, no matter what you do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, exactly what you're saying. I think that just goes along with like managing expectations for yourself. And like, sometimes I'll go into a climbing gym and I'll go like, okay, I've done all these things at competitions before people know who I am. I'm expected to like, just be I'm expected to do like the coolest things, the hardest boulders, put up the fastest times. And then if I don't do that, like it's distracting and it like kind of deteriorates, deteriorates my performance yeah, in a lot of ways. I imagine that's also kind of heavy walking into a gym or walking into places like that, even when you're just trying to like be kind of casual and nonchalant. Yeah. Well, I mean, there it's, it's possible to ignore. And then like you said, when I, when I am ignoring it and I'm just climbing for myself, and training for myself and my own goals and everything else are the only things that I'm focused on, then I, those are always my better training sessions. It's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, I want to get ready to tie this up here. Um, uh, do you have real quick, just because, uh, I'm just curious, do you have anything like outdoors that you're like psyched on and you're working on? Or are you just putting all of those to the back burner right now? Um, it's kind of in the back burner. Um, there's not, I mean, any day that I spend climbing outside, at least like when I'm in the midst of like training for a competition season is like a day that I could be spending training, Mm -hmm. I think. And not that I don't occasionally go outside and like climb hard, try hard and have fun because like I need those days, you know? Yeah. But I don't have the emotional room right now for any crazy outdoor projects or any anything like that that are like in my mind and like would be like biting at me or anything like that i think it's really important that you just said that because i think as uh climbers and especially as people who really want to excel we kind of get really wrapped up in trying to do hard things and i can't tell you some of my best days climbing is climbing nothing but like 11c to 12a i've just been outside just knocking them down and just climbing things that i know i was going to send and do like maybe 10 15 routes in a day mm. and it's just like but you're just you're just out there having fun and i feel like those days have been very very refreshing so I, i'm excited to know that like you're at least going out and whether those are those kind of days but you're going out and at least not taking it seriously and yeah. just just really just filling up the fun cup so it overflows. Definitely. And like for me, I still love getting on routes that are really, really hard. Like I have so much fun going outside and like climbing at my limit. Mm-hmm. But the fact that um, I have like these other competition related goals right now that I just care more about, like I'm mm-hmm. just kind of choosing to make every outdoor day just a kind of fun day where I try hard things, hang out with my friends. That's and that's like kind of it. So uh, right before we wrap up, I always like to give everybody the opportunity. Uh, is there any kind of shout outs, any organizations, anything you want to kind of tell people to look out to or say hi or do anything that's important to you that you want to share? 
Uh, I, I don't know. This has been pretty thorough. And so I guess thank you to my parents for being so supportive. <laughs> um, I, uh, let's see. Um, thanks for, thank, thank you to Perfect Descent and our lead nutrition for supporting me in these, uh, throughout these competitions, no matter how my, my life is going, no matter how the competitions are going, they've, that support has meant a lot to me. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. I normally like to try to throw in an ass, the sand and the supper, but I feel like we just went back and forth over those the whole time. <laughs> so we're just going to let that go. Um, and if people want to find you, support you, reach out to you, um, how can they do that? If you want to remain a ghost, you're more than welcome to is your life. Live it the best way you want. <laughs> oh man. Uh, my Instagram handle is just John Brossler. Um, Facebook, just John Brossler. Um, there's not a lot going on on either of those at the moment, but okay. <laughs> if there people are curious, then I'm I'm on social media. All right. Yeah. Well, I, thank you so much for being my guest. I know we've talked back and forth for over a few years of trying to have this conversation, and I've always admired your career. Uh, when I started coaching, uh, I knew about you, and this place was still exposure. And then I and then once Summit kind of acquired everything in the area i was always always it, it, the best way i know how to say it is like you know how like when you're in the elevator and there's like a tune that pops on and you know that tune and it's just like oh it gets your attention like i've always watched your career in that capacity like anytime i hear about you or i see you i've always like tried to tune in in that moment and i'm very excited and i'm very excited to see where you're gonna go i'm very honored to have this conversation with you and I hope you do well in all your competition seasons. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I need to say this from my, the bottom of my heart, too. I hope you do really well in all your competition seasons. But you said you're at, like, in your 20s at the peak of your life, and I'm 36 now. And it's funny, I'm climbing stronger and better than I ever did in my 20s. Granted, we have two different aspects of what we're going about it. But I hope that you actually can, maybe in 10, 15 years, we can have another conversation where you are having the second best peak of your life, reaching other routes, reaching other things, doing other things, whether it's still be climbing or not. But um, I, I'm very excited to see where you're going to go. And I hope the best for you. And I want you to just, like Texas boys, go in there and knock those bitches down. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. That, that means a lot. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again, boys and girls, the whole world alike for listening to Sense and Suffers podcast. We are on the gram. We are on all the things, uh, much like the power company. We are on Twitter, but we don't tweet. That's not, we don't do that thing. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. I appreciate every one of you. I'm not going to get into this long diatribe here because you've already been listening for an hour. So thank you so much. And remember, if you're not suffering, are you really sending at all?